listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Well, I want to introduce you to, uh, to two really close friends of mine this morning. Uh, one of them you probably already know. Um, both of them you probably already know. But, uh, but, I was uh, trying to guess which one it was. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't named names yet. Um, but uh, this, is, this is Brian Bell and Jody Bell, and they are some of my closest friends. And uh, they're, on the, they're on the leadership team here at the church. And, uh, and today... I asked them, uh, we're in this series called Peacekeepers, or uh, Peacemakers, and, uh, and I asked them to share about resolving conflict within marriage and within relationships, and, and uh, I think it's going to be a powerful word today. Um, no pressure, guys. Um, but uh, the main thing I wanted to say is that I've had the opportunity to witness these two up close for a long time. And uh, they may seem too good to be true, but they are true as can be. Um, and uh, I respect them very deeply, and so I'm anxious to hear what pearls of wisdom they have to drop on us today. So uh, drop it. <laughs> and thank you, Jason, for that introduction. It's going to be hard to talk if I cry. So, um, so as he said, we are Brian and Jody Bell. Um, we've been married for 26 years. So um, when Jason asked us to talk about conflict resolution in marriage, we've had lots of experience. Um, and, but it was a little ironic that he asked us to speak today because the last few weeks we've been going through um, a fairly stressful time. We have sold our house, and the house that we're buying, we're now about two and a half weeks late on closing. So we're now living in a house we do not own. Every day something dramatic happens, so um, it's been very stressful moving out and, and all of that. So um, Jason even reached out to us this week and said, oh my goodness, I realize what you guys are going through. Do you want to cancel? We can do something else. And we were like, no, no, we're really practicing conflict resolution. We have a lot week. of material yeah, to use now, yes. Yeah, we've a lot of material. So, so no, God wants us to speak. So we're really glad to be here today and to share um, things that we have learned and are learning. So this is week three in this series that we're doing on conflict resolution, peacemaking, uh, and uh, we started out the series, uh, Professor Ricardo shared about why there is conflict, and he did do a big reveal on his Dodger shirt, but I don't want to rub it in too much, but you know, this is um, it's just a little, feeling a little badly for him, so we'll just keep that here, and uh, next time you see him, you can tell him that is too bad about his team uh, not doing well, and that will be a way to create some peace, I'm sure. Um, then last week, uh, Pastor Dacian shared, and really looked at how as Christians we have a, uh, there's a biblical wisdom in how we resolve conflict, how we are peacemakers, and talked about that in the context of relationships between Christians, and then also in the context of uh, the believer dealing with the unbeliever as it relates to conflict as well. But as I was thinking about this series, that really the, uh, this sermon, the, the question of why would there be conflict in a marriage really struck me, right? Two people madly in love, you know, they, they uh, get married and Hollywood tells us they're supposed to live happily ever after and that's not really what happens, right? There tends to be a lot of conflict in that. And I think when I was speaking probably two or three 
times ago, I, I shared with you that I, I always love to look at those first chapters of Genesis as a reason or a way of understanding what we're seeing. And, and we can understand this issue of, of conflict within the context of marriage from those same passages as well. So picture we're back in the Garden of Eden and God has said to Adam and Eve, there's only one rule, one thing that you must do. You must not eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So he's given them a rule and they break that rule. Satan tempts them and they, uh, they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and instantly they fall and the world falls as well. And in that, uh, that fractures the relationships. So when you look at the context of what happened in that situation, you recognize that right away it was the marriage relationship that was fractured, right? Um, you see in that situation, this is not, um, I mean, you think about, they had the perfect marriage. They were in perfect relationship with God. Uh, they'd been chosen by God. This wasn't e-harmony that had put them together, okay? This was God had put the two of them together, chosen them as perfect helpmate. And what happens as soon as they sin and God confronts them? What's Adam's response? The woman gave me the fruit and made me eat it, Right? And here we are thousands of years later, and we're still blaming the women, right? I think there's a really good scriptural reason for it. Now you know why. Um, but you have this, this conflict that comes uh, built in of the fact that we're living in, living in a broken, fallen world. And tough stuff happens. There's conflict in relationships because of that. Um, There are, uh, obviously, there's all kinds of other conflicts in relationships, right? There's conflicts between, uh, you may have one with your boss or with those that work for you. You may have a conflict between you and your parents. But there's something unique and special within the marriage relationship that creates this kind of conflict as well. So, you know, for one thing, God's design for marriage is that it be between a man and a woman. And guess what? We're not alike. And it's that differences that exist between men and women that are part of the source of conflict for us. And furthermore, when you think about a marriage, you think about two people who have their own personality, they have their own temperament, they bring that into the marriage, and that, again, is a source of conflict. And if, if that wasn't enough, those two people live in a house together, and uh, all kinds of things happen there, and it's, it can be a very difficult, challenging environment. It's a little bit like a volcano, right? It's not a question of if it will erupt, it's a question of when it's going to erupt. And so that's the context with which we're working in terms of uh, a marriage and in terms of conflict within a marriage. It was interesting, you know, I think there's a tendency to think about this topic of conflict in marriage, partly because we were asked to speak about it, and think about it sort of as its own topic. But what Jason shared with us last week actually has a lot of application to how we think about this as well. Uh, one of the verses that he gave us uh, um, is, is Romans twelve eighteen. It says, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. And that's, that's a reality. That applies within the marriage context as well. If I'm doing everything I can to live at peace with my wife, and she's doing everything she can to live at peace with me, guess what? That's going to minimize conflict within our marriage. Another scripture that Jason referenced last week was Proverbs 19.11. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. So good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. So if you think about the marriage relationship, that this applies to every relationship and all conflict, but if you think about in the marriage, being slow to anger and to overlook an offense, 
how much further would we get, how much less conflict would we have if we could each be categorized as slow to anger and able to overlook an offense. And then the third area that Jason had uh, delved into last week was this uh, passage in Matthew chapter 18, which gives the biblical model for how we resolve conflict. And the first step it describes in conflict resolution is going to the person with whom you have a conflict and seeking to resolve the problem. Just like a marriage, right? How often, though, are we reluctant in the context of a marriage to go to that other person and have that difficult conversation? So I thought about this quite a lot. You think about when you have conflict. It could be over anything. What color the curtains are going to be or um, what we're going to eat tonight or, or how we're going to pay for the bills, anything. And so many times we'll have that conflict and it doesn't get resolved and we walk away. And then how do we handle it? Do we go back and talk to that person or do we give that other person the cold shoulder? Do we decide, hey, you know what? I'm going shopping and I'm going to spend money to get back. Or um, I'm going to go talk to my friends about this. But we don't often think about going back and trying to resolve it with our spouse and then being able to move ahead. So that Matthew 18 pa- passage applies to that. But I just thought, just trying to be really real about it, it's not fair to, to give the cold shoulder. It's not fair to do things to think, well, of course they're going to know why I'm mad, and maybe they'll apologize, because that doesn't happen very well. Mm-hmm. So um, what we want to do is share with you six ideas, uh, six principles that will help you with minimizing conflict within your relationships, within, particularly specifically within your marriage, um, or will help you resolve conflict uh, within your marriage. And, and we do this not from the perspective that we have a perfect marriage. We don't. You know, so it wouldn't have to take very long living with us to know that that was the case. But we have a good marriage uh, because we worked very hard at applying these kind of principles uh, in our life as well. So the first point that I want to share is that uh, in the context of marriage, you need a love that puts others ahead of yourself. In Scripture, uh, in the... Uh, Greek language that the New Testament was written in, there's at least three or more different words that were translated, that we've translated as love. And understanding the one that's given in the context of this verse that I'll share in a minute is really important. Uh, the uh, one, ver- one word for love is the word phileus, which is a, a brotherly love. It's the word from which we get Philadelphia from. And uh, there's another word, eros, which is erotic love, sexual love. Um, and then there's a third word, agape, uh, uh, which is a kind of love that's selfless. That means putting the other person ahead of yourself. And it's a love that's used to describe what Christ has done for us and that God loved us so much that he sent his son to die on the cross on our behalf. That kind of love. And it's that love that's used in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33, talking specifically about the context of marriage, where it says this, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So there's something special in this, and I think it's particularly aimed at men because maybe we struggle a bit more with this, or maybe it's a fact that it's a a need that our our wives have, but for this kind of agape love that puts the other person's need ahead of our own. And as I was thinking about this in terms of how we've applied this, I I thought back a few years back, um, our son Brendan, when he was a young teen, had gotten into these like retro video games and, uh, you know, thought it was the coolest thing. They were like the games that we had had when I was younger. And he was really surprised that dad got into it and was playing some of those games with him, Castle Wolfenstein or whatever else it was. But uh, dad, I didn't know you were into this. And it really reminded me of the fact that... um, 
I'd really made a decision when Michaela, our oldest daughter, was born that I would give up playing video games. This is not a sermon about that, lest any of you guys are scared about that. But uh, I would give up playing video, video games because it was the thing in my life that I recognized that I needed to do make changes because as a good husband and as a uh, person desiring to be a good father in that context, it was necessary that I give that up in order to be able to put more time into my relationship with my wife and my, our relationship with our daughter. And, and I did that because of agape love. I gave up something I enjoyed because something else was much more important uh, to me. It's also another thought on this is when we were first married and um, we, you know, had this idea, hey, you know, it's going to be, we're, we're both going to be out working outside the home, and uh, it's really important that we balance the, you know, the life of the home. It's not fair that, you know, just a traditional role for a woman is not what I wanted for my wife, and we are going to split the chores 50-50. So we, we split things up. We talked about it a lot, and it was really interesting sort of what happened with that, because what happened is that when it wasn't quite 50-50, it was easy for resentment to build up in our lives. And uh, I re- began to recognize, this is a few years into the marriage, that that really wasn't the right standard. The right standard is I was going to do absolutely everything I could to show my wife that I loved her by doing as much as I possibly could in the house and that she would do the same uh, for me. Over time, we kind of developed a little friendly competition. We try to outdo each other. So if I hear him emptying the dishwasher, I rush out there because I want to help him empty the dishwasher. Or we'll fight over who's going to wash the dishes and that kind of thing. And that might sound funny, but that is our competition. We are trying to outlove each other. And so nobody's saying, oh, that wasn't fair. I had to do too much. You don't do anything. Instead, we're saying, hey, back up, back up. Let me do that. I want to do it. Um, let me help you. So that has really helped us going from that, you know, trying to be fair to trying to be more than fair. I want to do 60% and he wants to do 60%. So we're going to duke it out. (laughs) Um, Second point that I would say here. So the first point is you need this special kind of love. Agape love needs to characterize the marriage relationship. Second point is that uh, you need to be aware of the impact of the significant life changes. So uh, things that are going on in your life are going to be sources of stress that are going to result in conflict. So moving, birth of a child, illness in a close family member, particularly a parent, uh, conflicts that might be going on at work that carry over into the home life. These things are, in some senses, are outside of your relationship in many ways, but will bring and will be uh, conflict within that context of your marriage. So Brian and I have been married 26 years. I think this house we moved into is our 15th. So we have moved a lot. And I think we used to move about once a year. (laughs) I don't know, we'd get tired and we'd move. But um, we realized that each time we moved, that was the time that we would have rows. I mean, it's hard, right? It's stressful to pack up and to move and not know what's going on. And so once we recognized hey, every time we move, every time we start something new, um, things get more tense around here. Once we recognize that, then we could be prepared for it the next time. Like, okay, a move is coming, so let's get ready. Um, We know that this could be more stressful, so let's each try to love each other more. Let's try to work harder through our conflict because we know it's coming. We can recognize it. We can see it. And that really helped a lot. We've had no blows this time. (laughs) We tried. (laughs) Um, Point number three is you bring into your marriage the junk from how your parents and family resolve conflict. 
It's a reality, right? And uh, so the way your family, their family history, the dynamics that existed between your parents and maybe even the greater family, they impact how you approach resolving conflict and dealing with conflict in the context of your marriage. I thought it was interesting for Jody and I, our families were very different when it came to uh, how we thought about finances. My family, I mean, we grew up dirt poor, you know, no money, couldn't rub like two nickels together, but my parents were extremely frugal, probably because of that reason. So being careful with money was like a natural thing uh, coming into our marriage. And I remember early on, um, one of our first years of marriage, we, and you do this in the East Coast, we don't do this so much in California, but you'd, you have winter clothes that you might remove in the fall that you're going to wear that during the winter, and you, you have uh, summer clothes that you might take out of storage in the spring. So one of those times, Jody takes out an, uh, an outfit, and she finds $20 in her pocket of the, of the uh, pants or whatever. And I'm like incredulous. We don't have any money and you find $20. Like how do you lose or not keep track of $20, right? So I was like, this is just blows me away in terms of uh, thinking about it. Talk about the difference with how your families think about money. So he called it losing $20. I called it finding $20. (laughs) (laughs) But... But, and, and this is very true for people, a lot of times within the context of marriage, finances are going to be an issue that will create conflict. They create a rub that's there. And for us, in those early years of our marriage, it was difficult because I had this strong, controlling nature as it related to money. And what really, what we found that was necessary in order for that to not be the source of a lot of friction within our marriage is we began to keep a written out budget. I mean, we wrote everything out in terms of our just categories and how much we could spend within a month in it. And that gave us such great freedom because now Jody had the freedom to spend within that budget in whatever those categories were. And I had a lot less of a sense of a necessity of having control because, hey, the plan was already there and we knew we were going to live uh, up to what that plan was. And that went a long ways towards resolving conflict in our marriage. So then you didn't care if I saved 20 bucks in my pocket? <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> um, I, I, when we talk about family, I just want to talk about the idea that if you don't think about it, if you don't pray about it, if you don't read about it, if you don't work at it, you will be your parent. <laughs> so when you look back and you think, how do my parents resolve conflict? And Jason shared this. He said in his family, they all stuff it down. They stuff it down. They don't talk about stuff. So just think about how does your family handle conflict? Because if you don't do anything else, that's what you're going to do. If your father or your mother went ballistic over the slightest thing, you're going to think that that's normal. You're going to think it's great to explode and then be over it. So um, and we're, I'm going to give you some homework at the end of the sermon today, but I'll give you a little tip. This is going to be part of your homework is to think about how did my family deal and, and talk to your spouse about that. How did your family handle conflict? How does that influence you? Let's see, how does that influence me? Because I think being aware of that is really helpful. One time we went to visit some of our friends from college, and our friend was kind of sitting in the corner, and he was just grousing as the little kids went by. Hey, stop doing that. Hey, hey, what are you doing? And I said, oh, my gosh, you are your father. Because I, you know, I knew him as he was growing up, and he said, yeah, I am. And I thought, well, I don't think that's such a great thing. But to him... <laughs> I, to him, this he thought, hey, that my father groused from the corner and that got us all to behave. And so, you know, it, it works. But if we don't make changes, if we don't think about it, then we are going to be that person. 
Point number four, a growing relationship with God lessens conflict. So there's a, a traditional picture, and I think they're going to bring it up behind me here, but a traditional picture of marriage uh, that I, uh, from a Christian perspective that I think really captures the essence of what I'm talking about. You have a triangle. Maybe you aren't going to bring it up. There it is. Um, you have a husband and wife in relationship with God. And what you see in that picture is that the closer that husband and wife become, the more they grow in their relationship with God, the closer they are to each other. And that is, a, I think, a biblical principle that's really important. God's design for us, those of us that are followers of him, is that we're growing in our relationship with God. And when we're in the context of marriage, as we become more and more like Christ in our relationship, we also be, uh, draw closer and closer to uh, each other in that process. And that's really important uh, for uh, lessening or uh, resolving conflict in the context of a marriage. I think when you look back over time, too, you can see if you were to chart the conflict levels in your life or in your marriage, when things change, that creates stress, that creates conflict. Or if one or both of you is not pursuing God, if you're going after your own interests, then that also is naturally going to create conflict. All right, point number five. It's not, or it's usually not, that big of a deal, all right? And uh, this is the reality. And I remember our first year of marriage was like the toughest. We had, you know, struggles, and you just felt this, you know, constant sources of friction about things that, particularly in hindsight, were little. So we had fights over, you know, when the glasses go into the cupboard, not fights, conflicts over whether when the glasses went into the cupboard, they went in this way or they went in this way. You know, this is important stuff. Or that toilet paper roll. There's only one way to do it. You know, it has to go over the top, not under the bottom. Right. That's that's in the Bible. So you're okay on that one. But seriously, these were these were issues that created friction within our first year of marriage. And the reality is those are little things and yet they become sources of friction. So as we were preparing for this, um, this uh, talk today, uh, Jody said, I really think we need to tell people the cat story. And I was like, all right, it's really easy to talk about things that happened 25 years ago in the context of marriage because those things, I got them good. But you know, that cat story, that was like our last big conflict. And I don't know if I'm ready to share it. And about three nights ago in the middle of the night, I woke up and I was like, all right, we'll tell the darn cat story. But um, so... We have a cat. I didn't want a cat. So let me give you a little bit of background to it so I don't sound like I'm a horrible person. So when we, when we first got married, we were very poor. Our first living room set of furniture, a set might be a, a bit of a loose description, but was stuff that my grandparents had had that was like 25 years old. So, you know, it was not in great shape. It didn't last very long. And then the second round of what we got, we had this family at our church that were Russian immigrants. I mean, they were, you know, if you're talking of the, where they are on the socioeconomic scale within America, they were near the bottom. Apparently, we were below them because we got their leftover couch. And that couch w- was so bad that we had to, like, cover it with a sheet because otherwise you couldn't sit on it. I mean, we were, this is, we were really bad off. And so we get our, finally are able to scrape enough money together to get a matching couch and chair. And we were very proud of them. And we had a cat. And that cat was not very good to that couch and chair, you know, scratching at it. You don't really notice how bad it is till about, you know, two years later, you're getting ready to move. And it's like destroyed, right? So here I am, I'm like so frustrated and thinking, all right, we had this little critter and we have no money and we're supposed to be good stewards of what we have. And this cat has destroyed it. So like right then I was like, I never want to have another cat in my life. So 
And I didn't agree. <laughs> so we had to get rid of that cat. She didn't like our children, and when they would cry, when we had babies and they would cry, she'd come over and bite them. So that, that cat had to go. And I, I was good with that. But, you know, as the kids got bigger, I really, really wanted a cat. And I would ask, and I would cajole, and I would beg, and I would plead. And, I mean, any of you who really know us, you know that that's true. And I really wanted a cat. And sometimes he seemed to waver a little bit, but he never would say yes. So a couple of years ago, I was out, I'm a realtor, and I was out showing an empty house. And lo and behold, this mother cat was living in the basement, and this little fluffy kitten followed me into the house and begged me to take it home. <laughs> so I picked up that little fluffy kitten, and I brought it to the car when I was done showing the house. And I called Brian and I said, hey, um, I'm sitting in front of the house and I found this kitten and I was wondering if I could bring it home. Well, it was May. It was time for Michaela to graduate. My parents were staying with us. Brian thought when I said I'm sitting in front of the house, I meant our house. Like I had already driven from San Bernardino back to Redlands. And he thought my parents were there at the house. And so he felt like he couldn't really say no. So what he said was, it's up to you. You know how I feel about it. <laughs> and and I, I took that as a resounding yes. <laughs> and I was so excited. And so I drove home with this crying little cat, picked Brendan up from school. He could not believe it that dad finally said yes. I mean, he said to me, dad said this was okay? And I was like, oh, yes, yes. Dad said this was fine. Let's go to Walmart and buy this thing some food. So... Um, Brendan, you know, held it in hand, and so we took this kitten home, and everybody was thrilled, except for Brian, <laughs> and is it your turn now? <laughs> so, I wasn't very happy about this, because I felt like I'd been completely backed into a corner, because I pictured her outside our house, having already brought the cat home, you know, our parents are there, you can't have a fight in front of them, you know, the kids absolutely <laughs> fall in love with the cat, you know, and, uh, and it was a really difficult thing, we were, like, with our parents there, we were, like, sleeping on an air mattress, you know, the cat was just out of control, I thought it was going to pop the air mattress at any time. It was a really, it's a very challenging time. And honestly, like, I, I had such resentment about this, and this wasn't good. I mean, really, from my perspective, I really, especially in hindsight, felt like this challenged this, you know, I showed a real lack of respect for me that she would do this, knowing how I felt about it. Even though, let's go back and remember, I said, everything is small. This is not that big a deal. But it felt like a really big deal. And this didn't, this wasn't like an hour conflict. This was a day's conflict. And, and honestly, I had to decide whether to get my back up and be like, who are you to tell me I can't have this adorable kitten? I had to decide not to, to take that route. And honestly, I did feel badly. Like, I, we had misunderstood each other. I thought he was kind of half saying yes. And now this kitten is a terror. I mean, he just, our legs were all scraped up and he's, you know, he's already ripping the furniture, but the kids are in love. My parents are there. Now Brian's parents come, you know, so I don't know what to do. If it had just been the two of us, I would have been like, okay, okay, I'll take it back to the shelter. You are more important than this cat. I realize that and I feel terrible, but it was beyond that. I couldn't take the cat back. The kids would have been heartbroken. So we were kind of stuck. So 
at the same time, God's working on me because really, it's not that big a deal. And I had to remember that. And, uh, and it really was very interesting because I really reached the point of making a decision to say, hey, you know what? My marriage is a lot more important than this cat. And literally had to ask forgiveness for the Lord, ask forgiveness for my wife. And through that, it resolved a conflict, which honestly, like it's been, it was the biggest thing to happen in the last two or three years between us in terms of conflict. So it really was a little thing, but it felt like a very big thing. And I want to say that he forgave me so much. That cat only lasted one year. Um, it was an indoor-outdoor cat, which was a mistake in Redlands because of coyotes. Um, but, and when we lost that cat, I was heartbroken. I mean, I had waited 15 years for that baby, and now my kids had left for college. This was my baby. And so he said, we can get another cat. And that's how we have the demon cat Sugar Plum. If any of you come to our house, that's where she came from. So, And if anybody wants the cat, you are free to take the cat. So, so our last point, um, very important on this. Uh, talk about things when you were cool. So talk at the right time. So our tendency... Uh, when it comes to having a conversation, right? We, we looked at Matthew 18 last week. Oh, yes, I'm supposed to have this conversation with my, my, with my spouse, with my wife. Our tendency, though, is to have, um, uh, have that conversation at the moment when it's unlikely to really work out well, right? We're highly irritated. We're frustrated. Uh, we're angry. We're upset. Um, maybe we're even hangry, you know, a little bit. Uh, and, you know, all, then that's when we decide to have this kind of conversation that's going to resolve the conflict uh, that we have. So one of my favorite things to say to people when they seek me out about for counsel, and whether it's your spouse or not, is to go and talk to the person when things are cool. So recently a friend of mine had a big conflict with a coworker, and the coworker was really mean to her, and she didn't know what to do. And so what I said to her is, you know, you need to go back just on a regular day at a regular time when you have a moment and say, hey, you know, the other day I could tell I really got on your nerves and I apologize for that and I want to ask you, how could I do better next time? What could I do differently? I don't want to set you off. What am I doing wrong? And that exact phrasing that you could use with a coworker, you could also use with your spouse or your ornery teenager um, to say, hey, what can I do better for next time? So you're not putting blame on them. You're not saying you're a jerk and you were way out of control yesterday, but you're saying, from my perspective, what should I do differently and how can I help you deal with conflict better? So that's one of my uh, choice um, pieces of advice to people, and I found that that really works over the years. So um, I want to give you now your homework. I know you were anxious to get the homework. Um, So if you can hear my voice, you can hear our voices, I want you to go away from, one, saying to your spouse or a loved one, hey, um, let's talk about how our families handled conflict. And you can go back to your grandparents. I mean, this, this goes on. There's been conflict since Adam and Eve. Every couple had it. So how did our family deal with conflict, and how does that influence us? And how does that help us work together or not work together? So let's recognize that. Um, The other thing is to ask your spouse, how can I do better? Um, When Brian and I were first married, um, poor guy, I was a psychology major, so I'm really into this stuff. (laughs) He was a chemistry major. So you can tell we were coming from very different perspectives, but I always wanted to talk through things and work things out. Um, But what we did is, I think it was probably the last Sunday of every month, we sat down and said, how have I done this month? What have I done that annoyed you? What could I do that would be better? And how can I improve? How can we improve this next month? That was a hard thing to do because you're very vulnerable in that 
moment. It's what if they say, you know, you need to brush your teeth more or whatever, you know, like you're, you're really opening yourself up to criticism. But I think that's why we picked a certain day to do it the last Sunday of every month, because otherwise we kind of would have never gotten around to it. And eventually we didn't need to have those conversations anymore. You know, we could handle anything, even a cat. (laughs) <laughs> but we, we were just enough in the habit to talk about it. So I would say that your second part of homework is to say to your spouse, sometime when things are cool, how can I do better? And how can we do better? What, what are the triggers? What sets us off for conflict? So how can we improve that way? And I, that just leads me to the idea of perspective. It isn't that person's fault. Both of us are reacting. We're having conflict. We're either resolving it in a good way or a bad way, but it's a two-way street. So we need to have perspective for ourselves to say, hey, I am like my cranky father, or hey, I am like my mother who would always push it down and then explode you know, once a month. So we need to have some perspective. I used to tell people that when Brian and I were more newly married, I used to have the fights with him and he wasn't there. So I would be doing the dishes, and I would be all mad that he had a meeting tonight, and he hadn't told me, and I'd be washing the dishes. And then I'd think, well, what would he say? And then he would say, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, and I would go through, because I know that he's a good-willed man. I know that he doesn't do things to make me mad or to hurt me. So I know that somewhere in there, he has a reason. And so as I did the dishes, I would think about, well, he would say this. Well, but then I would say this, and I would get fired up, and I would keep washing the dishes, and I would get all the way through to the end. So we, I, I understood his situation, and he understood mine, and then that's about the time he'd walk through, and I'd say, you are lucky, because I've already had the fight without you. And he would say, what? But that was just because I could see his perspective. And, and honestly, I felt like I was cheating myself a little bit. I wanted to get mad. I wanted to throw something. Like, I had been wronged. But the point is that we want to have a healthy, long-lasting relationship. Our kids are now gone, right? So these are the years that we should be having fun and enjoying ourselves. And we can do that because we've learned to work through conflict. If we hadn't, these could be really hard times. But it, it's you the have to keep... not gone yet, though. <laughs> Yeah, so, um, (laughs) um, yeah, (laughs) it might be time for you to pray. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go ahead and close on a word of prayer, right? (laughs) God, we we love you, and we're just so grateful um, that you've, in your wisdom, uh, have given us wisdom in terms of how we deal with conflict. Um, That's just a part of living life in a broken fallen world, Lord, um, we know from how you've set it out in Scripture, there's no such thing as a marriage that doesn't have conflict. The reality is we will face conflict, difficulties in this world that we live in because of the fall, because of the fallen nature of human beings and, and the reality of what we deal with. And yet, you've given us a model of, from Scripture, Lord, and I just would ask that you'd allow um, us to apply it within the context of our marriages, Lord, um, whether we're married now or will be married, Lord, that you would allow us to be in a situation where we can minimize conflict by growing in our relationship with you, by by practicing the right kind of love towards our spouse, Lord, that um, you would allow us to be able to talk through things and, and recognize that so much of what we struggle with are, are just little things. And Lord, I just would ask that each person here um, would be able to have some of these kind of conversations that will help them grow uh, in their relationship with their spouse and in their relationship with you. And now, Lord, I just uh, would, uh, as our ushers come forward, Lord, we lift up the uh, tithes and offerings that will be given this morning, Lord. I just would uh, ask that 
they would be used to further your kingdom and your work here in Redlands and around the globe, Lord. God, I just would ask that you would bless each giver here today, Lord, and uh, um, help our church to be able to use these resources to make a difference for you, Lord, to live out the radical love that you showed uh, through the death of your son, to live that out in our relationship with others. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. podcast of the Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.